0: Tell.
1: Thanks, Dean. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Wisconsin Music Podcast. This week, we have Rob Wessel. He began teaching himself guitar at the age of 13 or 14, began learning guitar parts off rock records at about the age of 15 in his 20s, and into his 30s, he took lessons and classes at the Wisconsin Conservatory of Music and Jazz Guitar and Theory. We're going to get into his conversation in a little bit. I hope everyone had a great weekend. It's been really busy over here, helping family move, pet band, work in general, helping other podcasts, getting their podcasts ready for publication, doing some mixing and mastering, and just got a hold of someone off of Reddit looking for mixing and mastering of their song. So things are getting really busy over here. I have is going into the recording studio in... Less than a month or about a month, and then I have another band coming in to record five songs, so it's gonna be a nice end of the year work. The wife and I are still looking for land to build a house on eventually in the next few years, um, and also uh, ZTF Studio is gonna have another recording studio in Wisconsin. Hasn't been, I haven't had one since about 2018 2019, so that's gonna be really fun to have have and do again. So I'm going to keep you guys updated on how all that is going to go down in the near future. But let's get right into our conversation with Rob Wessel. Great conversation, lots of advice, lots of great stories about playing music. So let's get right into it. Welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast.
0: Thanks, Zach. It's great to be on the podcast. Thanks for having me.
1: No problem. We had some of your music played on our Friday Music Showcase, I think like a month or two ago. And we're just going to talk about music and how he got started and go from there. So why don't you kind of give us your music origin story? Like how did you get started in music and kind of like your path to where you are today?
0: Sure. Um, It started off quite a long time ago. I was originally, uh, well, when I was a kid, I wanted to... uh, start playing electric guitar. I think I saw someone playing one on TV on American Bandstand or the Groovy Ghoulies or something. And uh, thought it'd be really cool to play guitar, electric guitar. And um, so originally, I started teaching myself on an old guitar that my mom had and a uh, beginner guitar instruction book. Later on, I attended the Wisconsin Conservatory of Music here in Milwaukee and uh, from like 1989 to 1998. Um, by that time I, uh, I decided I'd like to try to learn to play jazz. I was a fan of uh, jazz fusion guitarists like Mike Stern uh, and uh, Pat Metheny, and uh, wanted to learn to do that. So in 1989, I started classes there. I had classes with Dave Hazeltine and lessons with Mike Sullivan had classes with John Foschiger for a few years.
1: So these are all guitar teachers.
0: Uh, some of those are uh, jazz improvisation okay. in general, applicable to any instrument. Dave Hazeltine is, uh, was a local Milwaukee pianist. He's now uh, located in New York. John Foschiger is also a pianist, a jazz pianist, and he's still in the area. Um, Mike Sullivan was a local uh, jazz guitarist okay and i don't know if he's local or if he's moved away i also in the 1990s i went to the uh, national guitar summer workshop a few years a few summers and uh, they've got they had they had uh, great seminars with uh, guitarists like mike Keneally who i think was there the first year i went there that was a really really interesting seminar um about improvisation and also composition basic great stuff about how to come up with a, uh, a good idea for a song uh, or a good idea for a guitar riff, you know, and um,
1: why don't you give us a little detail on what you mean by that? How did they do that?
0: Well, Mike Keneally, if um, you know, listeners aren't familiar, he played in Frank Zappa's band. Okay. And he told us uh, Frank would point to some of the guys in the band and say, all right, you guys improvise something, play something together. No key didn't tell them, okay, you play the rhythm and you play the lead. Just listen to what each other are doing and play something together and make it musical. Okay. And so that was a, it's a cool exercise. And he had us do things like that in class, how to compose a, a guitar riff he basically pointed to someone and said, play something, play a few notes, anything. And, uh, you know, had, had a student just play something random on their guitar and showed us how basically you can take any musical idea and develop it into the basis for a song, whether a melody or a guitar riff or something. And he had us do it. Uh, you can always take an idea that you have, and if you think you know there's ways to improve it, you can change it. But you can play any random idea, and then he had us combine that. He pointed to another student said, and, and said, "You play something," and had them play some random short little melody on the instrument. And you know that would either be the second half of the guitar riff or that would be the next part of the song and we composed an entire song and performed it for some of the other students there made up entirely of uh melodic ideas that he had students come up with on the spot so it was really very interesting stuff yeah um and he also covered playing in uh, odd time signatures in that class we did some of that so um that was in I 1996 or 97, so I'm trying to jog my memory. But uh, that was a lot of the the stuff he covered.
1: So you were at the conservatory th- through you said the same time, right around there?
0: Yeah, um, 1989, and then I uh, I took lessons there until 1998, and uh, Don Linky was another teacher there. Okay. And I was taking lessons with him up until 1998.
1: What made you decide to, sounds like you stopped taking lessons then. So what did you do after that?
0: Well, there was a certain point at which I kind of realized I had the basic tools to be able to, um, you know, become a proficient guitar player. And, you know, something Don impressed on me is um, I can know the scales You know, I can know the music theory, which was another thing that I had picked up. uh, I'm I'm skipping back and forth, but uh, back in high school, from a book I borrowed from the library, uh, learned music theory. I can know all that. And then what it takes is you um, developing your own sense of um, being able to play musically and tastefully. And that's something, you know... uh, Don and I talked about, and he said, "You know, that's that's a very difficult thing to teach someone else. You can teach them ways to get there, but you can't teach someone how to play musically and tastefully. You know, right. for one thing, that a person's idea of what's tasteful may vary from one person to another. Mm-hmm. Um, and for another, that's that's a real intuitive kind of thing. It's it's not like." music theory or sight reading you know so uh, it, you know and and phrasing phrasing in improvising that's another thing that uh it's very individual and one of the things you know that uh, I realized over the years that you just have to do is um or that helped me anyway is record yourself listen to yourself and take a listen to what you actually sound like playing and i realized that uh what i sound like when i listen back is very different than what I sound like when I'm actually playing.
1: What did you think you sounded like before you heard yourself compared to when you heard yourself?
0: I guess I thought I was um, sounding pretty good, sounding like some of my guitar heroes, or a little bit anyway, because I would learn licks off of records, off Mm -hmm. of CDs. I I copied things from from a lot of my guitar heroes and um, would try to put those ideas into my playing which, you know, of course is a great thing to do. But, uh, you know, when you listen back, then one of the things you notice is, uh, wow, I just kind of run on. I I never stop. I never put in any rests. I I should put a rest in here and there, you know? You know, and that's one thing that we, that I remember Don telling me about is, uh, this is a difference between guitar and, for instance, an instrument like a sax, where, you know, a sax or a horn player has to stop to take a breath and a guitar player can just keep on going, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so, uh, it, it, it's not that I know some rock guitar players. I could, I could name names who I I listen to them and they don't very often take rests, but they make it work. Right. You know? So again, it's a very individualistic thing. So, uh, but, uh, it certainly doesn't to put in a rest, you know, and let the listener go, okay, that was one statement or that was the end of a paragraph. Right. Now, you know, the next thing he'll play this will be elaborating on that or continuing. And uh, it has to be like a conversation like that. Exactly. When you, when you improvise. Yes. Or when you do a guitar solo. So, and so um, I guess in the years since I was studying there, That's kind of been uh, the road I've been on, trying to, or one of them anyway, trying to improve that. Yeah. Guys I've played in bands with have said that um, one of the things they like about when I take a guitar solo is I know, you know, to start it off somewhere and then when it ends, bring it to a climax. And so um, that tells me I've made some progress.
1: Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I think everybody enjoys having positive feedback when they when people appreciate how you play or how you approach something. It, it makes you feel like you're you're on the right track, of what you're trying yeah, to accomplish. Yeah, right.
0: That my efforts have paid off. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Definitely. You know, and I and I spent years. Well, when I was first learning to play, um, I spent maybe too much time doing. You know finger exercises chromatic finger exercises trying to develop um speed you know because it was uh it was the late 70s and I was listening to guys like um Alex Lifeson in Rush who uh I remember hearing one of his solos the one in um Farewell to Kings where he does this amazing speed picking part and I heard that and I'm like oh my god I have to learn to do that you know And, and then it was uh you know, probably that same year, the first Van Halen album came out. And um, so that was the thing, you know, to be able to learn to do, but uh, you know, you can learn to do that. But then when someone says that, well, what you played there was actually very tasteful and it started somewhere, had a direction and, you know, came to a climax uh, and, and you used uh call and response I could I could. it sounded like a conversation you know then you know that you've uh, you've picked up some of the other important things that yeah. you need in your playing
1: right yeah it's yeah it's just it's like it's a never ending goal is to keep improving become a better player than you were the day
0: before that's very true I think uh, quite often uh, I view guitar playing um, musicianship songwriting all of that as a lifelong journey of discovery Mm -hmm. so you never arrive you keep discovering new and exciting things your whole life
1: right exactly Have you ever thought of completely quitting music and just leaving it behind and doing something else? Or has it always been like, no matter what, it's always something that you can get back to.
0: I only did that once. That was uh, 1982 when I graduated high school and I thought, okay, there, there was something else I decided I wanted to do in my life. And so, uh, and you know, keeping in mind what I just said, my attitude was, uh, well, if i can't be you know like joe satriani the, you know the best mm-hmm. if i can't be good at this well i'm just gonna quit uh, which that lasted <laughs> that lasted a couple of years and then i started playing again you know and that was the best thing i think i ever did i i started playing again i think a friend of mine actually talked me into it it was a difficult difficult decision at first yeah but he said, no, oh, come on. I, I got a Yamaha four track cassette recorder. Come over to my house. Let's, let's play something. Um, so I remember that going over to his house. Yeah. And, and then, you know, then I got the bug and I decided to start practicing, start playing again.
1: So were you in bands like after you got, you know, you restarted again after high school and you started taking lessons? Were you in bands as well, playing out on the weekends or
0: whenever? um yeah uh let me see it was the timeline here in the the, the late 80s i i wanted to start writing my own original music and i was really interested in the uh ambient and electronic music that was coming out at the time as well as you know some of the uh instrumental rock like what i've mentioned i i was uh really impressed with Joe Satriani's first few albums. And I was just, I think the eighties, it was just a time when a lot of really cool and creative music was coming out and I was into a lot of it. So anyway, I think it started off with me trying to record my first self-produced release that I did like in 1988. And I, I had started putting together a a home studio, a MIDI studio, they called it back in those days, and composed a few songs on a MIDI sequencer. And I went to um, Panther recording in Wauwatosa and um, recorded a bunch of my my songs. Uh, Then in about 1989, I joined a local group, um, a um, Christian kind of pop jazz rock group called beacon who uh, by the way, I think are still around and um, they have a release that's uh, on Spotify that everybody can listen to. Um, I did not play on that, uh, but I did engineer it. No, they asked me to be recording engineer on, uh, when they finally decided to record a, uh, a CD It's beacon. Um, I was in that band for about nine years years i think well i was in that band until 1998. oh and in that time i also i collaborated with uh, a a friend of mine uh brian hirsch who uh also has a release called quest for truth that's on spotify and i played on a couple of tracks he was working on recording that in the mid-1990s i was trying to think the other day when did we work on this It was, it was, I think somewhere in the mid 1990s. And I played a couple tracks on that and I found it on Spotify. It's out there. Then, uh, in about 1998, I wanted to form a progressive rock band. Um, I was writing my, the whole time I was in, you know, other bands, I was writing my own stuff and I was playing other people's music, but, um, writing, you know, stuff on my own in that, my MIDI studio. And, um, in uh, 1998, I wanted to call up a few friends of mine and form a progressive rock band. So I called up a friend named John, who was an awesome keyboard player, and uh, called up a friend named Wes, who was an amazing bass player. Both of them were not available, though. I called up a friend, Jim, Jim Kuby, uh, who was a uh, fabulous local Milwaukee area drummer, and I asked him. If he was interested, he was interested and he was in another band and he said, we need a bass player. So if you could play bass for the band I'm in, I'll work with you on your original stuff and we could have the rehearsal on the same night. And and so we started doing that in 1998. In uh, about 2001, then Jim and I decided to form a cover band. We thought, you know, maybe we could play gigs in local clubs and so forth. So uh, we formed Thick as a Brick, which uh, played in local pubs for nine years from about um, 2001 until 2010.
1: So you, did you do a lot of Jethro Tull covers with a name like that?
0: People always asked us that. And um, the, the name was Jim's Idea. I, I, I don't even think he realized it was a Tall song. But oh, okay. when he suggested I was, I was I thought, well... It's not a bad name because it tells people the type of music we're doing. True, I mean, we did a lot of '70s rock songs. Yeah, so I thought that was a good a, a good name for the band. People did ask us if we were a tall tribute. Um, tribute bands weren't, you know, a big thing back around 2001. We did do Aqualung, which I had done in my very first band when we were in high school, and I really wanted to do that in this band because I thought these guys were accomplished musicians. Our um, vocalists you know, the, the Ian Anderson's mm-hmm. singing was right up his alley and the rest of the guys were uh, up to the task. And so I thought, well, this would be a great song for us to do. So we did a really great job of that song, but that, that was the only tall song we got uh, worked into our set. Um, other than that, we did uh bad company, REO speed wagon, Brian Adams from the eighties, a bunch of other stuff, Bob Seeger, We did a few of his songs. So, um, Stuff with uh, a little more uh, of a hard rock sound. Yeah. You know, which um, we loved playing. I, I enjoyed playing those songs. Audiences thought we had a great mix of material. But uh, situations where they wanted uh, a uh, kind of a lighter musical style, you know, we may not have been the best fit for. We were a little hard edged. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we tried to work in some pop too—John Cougar Um, but we were a band with two guitarists. We didn't have a keyboard player, and uh, and we liked hard rock. You know, um, so and uh, over those nine years, we got to be very tight. Uh, I think a, a real good sounding band.
1: So, what was the local scene attitude around that time? Positive and and struggles that was happening around that time when you were out playing.
0: Well. It was difficult for a little startup band like ours, you know, because, uh, venues we played at, they wanted to make money. So, um, and and some of them told us straight out and I completely understand. They said, you know, we don't care if your band completely sucks, if you get customers here. Right. So, um, you know, it's and so, uh, and, and we, uh, we, we wanted to put, uh, great music out there and uh we're hoping to build a following that way i had uh there was a there was another local milwaukee band blue hand who probably everybody listening has heard of them who uh played a lot of you know that 70s classic rock kind of stuff and i'd gone to a few of their shows and really really enjoyed it so i mean we didn't we didn't want to do all the same songs as you know another local band but uh you know i i had enjoyed all of that 70s rock also and so we thought we'd, we'd make a go at it but uh you know un- unless you uh unless you really grow a following and um we're I'm, I'm a guitar nerd so i'll admit i i'm not the best at that unless you grow <laughs> a big following yeah it's really hard and you know and um so that was a challenge um one of the great things is when people came out; um, they always enjoyed the show, and we always got uh, a lot of good comments. And, and people, you know, got out and danced. We did a variety of stuff. One thing I noticed: I was out watching another band one night, and uh, they played this awesome version of Enter Sandman, and nobody was on the dance floor. And then right after that, they played Tommy Two Tone Eight Six Seven Five Three O Nine or whatever yeah. the song is. And everybody packed the dance floor. So we realized, well, okay, we ought to play a few of those songs. That would be a good one to start. You know, some of these songs that get people out on the dance floor. So we worked some of those in, you know, but we worked in a lot of, a lot of the stuff that we loved listening to and playing. So we always had a great time playing and the audiences always had a great time. That was a positive thing.
1: So what did you guys do back then to try to get your audience to grow?
0: Put up a lot of flyers, contact the, uh, get gigs listed in, in the shepherd and the onion, you know, just get the word out to as many people as possible. Yeah. Uh, we uh, had a sign up list, uh, a sign up sheet at our gigs. We're um, trying to get an email list. We had that going for a while. And, uh, oh, um, You know, back in those days, we uh, we have or we probably still have a uh, a MySpace. And later we had a Facebook page. So we got the word out that uh, that way. So those were the ways that we, you know, we got the word out. And I think that's critical. That's really important.
1: What do you see different? I mean, obviously, the media has changed since then till now. Mm But do you see any simil- similarities and besides the differences between promoting then versus promoting
0: now? Um, well, what, for, for what I'm doing now, it, it, you know, promoting live music now, I'm, I'm not sure I'm the right guy to ask. I've kind of uh, in the last several years kind of devoted myself more to uh, writing my original stuff and recording my original stuff. And I'm not currently in a gigging band. You know, uh, I was listening to uh, one of your guests talking about how uh, uh, new venues are opening up, Um, not necessarily in uh, in clubs like what we used to play at, but uh, where people go to shop and they'll uh, set up a stage and and have live music. And I think that's really cool. Some really cool stuff happening.
1: Yeah, it seems like, you know, a lot of the people that I talk to, one of the things that they would love to see is more opportunities for all ages show so they can perform for a wide range of ages where it's not just you know the the bar that's for a certain genre or whatever certain generation but you know that they can play for you know like i said a wider range of audience members
0: yeah yeah i think there were people even back then beginning to do that uh we did a gig at a uh, restaurant in Brookfield in about 2005. It was a pizza restaurant, so it was all ages, but um, they had us come and play while people were there having dinner. And uh, so um, that was a cool idea. It was a very fun experience. You got kind of talking about your current
1: recording project. Why don't you kind of give us some detail behind you know how you decided to get started on that, how you're doing it. Was it when COVID hit that made you, you know, really get into it? Or was it before then? Or, you know, kind of give us like the history behind the project you're working on right now.
0: Sure. What I'm working on right now um, is original progressive rock. And like I mentioned way back in 1998, I wanted to get a group together to do that. And what I I guess I didn't mention, that group ended up releasing an album. Um, That's on Spotify now that group was uh, concept of innocence and we released um, songs from the heart full album of um, progressive rock. Uh, I was kind of influenced, uh, you know, uh, by uh, some of the classic seventies prog bands like um, yes and Genesis and Starcastle. maybe a little pink Floyd. In- yeah, definitely pink Floyd influence. Um, Kansas loved all those ba- the bands with lots of keyboards, mm-hmm. right, and, and lots of synths, as well as guitars and the, the Rick and Bocker bass. So, um, in songs from the heart, that stuff's all in there. That was with uh, drummer Jim Kubi, who was in uh, the cover band in Thick as a Brick, and uh, we were kind of doing those simultaneously. And um, at some point, I realized, well, between trying to do two projects and all the other things that come up in life, non-musical things like having to go back to school to further your career and so forth. I needed to focus on the original progressive rock. So um, we got that album released. Um, The band kind of ran its course in 2015. I was writing material for more releases, Um, but that band ended in 2015. Jim, unfortunately, passed away uh, earlier this year in May. So um, I and everybody who knew him is sad about that. Um, and uh, I'm working on more material. I don't yet have a name for the uh, what I'm going to call the band. Um, from uh, 2015 or 2014, for about five years, I um, I joined up with uh, another local group, Lindenthal. Okay. Um, they're also uh, a progressive rock group, and uh, was working with them for five years. They've got some material written and um, some of, and they're working on a release also. They've got a SoundCloud page. I don't think they have something on Spotify yet, but um, they're working on a release. I will probably be on that uh they may have a few of the parts that i recorded on that release and uh i contributed two songs to it which last i talked to them they are planning to put on that release so uh that was 2015 to about 2019 and um then uh i have been working since 2019 on on a release of my own stuff uh, of my own and uh right now just me i'm the band okay i've got three songs from that upcoming release on soundcloud right now i have an account on soundcloud um rw's blues rwz blues so there's a uh a folder on there called uh, prog rock 2019 to 2021 it's got those three songs but um i've got a half a dozen more written that uh, I've got some of them started. I Right now, there's, again, some, uh, some of these things that come up in life yeah. uh, have come up, and I haven't been able to work on those since about May or June. But I'm uh, very excited to get back to work on those this fall, hopefully. Cool. Very cool. And put another release out.
1: So how are you approaching the recording? I mean, do you have your own um, equipment? Or are you going to... Su-
0: Somebody's studio, how are you, how are you doing this? Um, over the years, that humble mini studio that I mentioned, that I started in mm-hmm. the 80s, uh, that's grown into a nice, um, a serious home studio. I wouldn't say it's packed full of pro studio gear, but it's a serious home studio. Um, and I've got that, I bought a house in 2007. That allowed me to do things like mic up guitar amps you know before that i had been uh, using various ways to record direct yeah and you know and and i i'd play my stuff for some people and 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 some people would go oh i hate the sound of direct guitar and i didn't know what they were you know talking about because um i mean i thought my stuff sounded pretty good back then but i really you know miking up guitar amps in the house I'm getting the best guitar sounds that I've, you know, that I've ever gotten since I started recording.
1: Yeah. There's nothing like air being moved by a speaker compared to a direct signal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, something, probably a number of things, you know, the fact that there's a mic in front of a speaker, the, uh, the sustain, you know, you don't have to dial a lot of gain in if you turn the volume way up, which, uh, you know i'm able to do a little more in yeah. the house the uh the sustain is is just amazing and and you can't get that by going direct you know and then sometimes what ends up happening is you turn up more gain to get it to sustain more and that's might not necessarily be the best tone you know then right you know and uh i've got um i've got a few different amps now it's kind of it's a lot of fun um Using different amps to get different guitar tones. I remember reading a uh, interview with Steve Howe when I was in high school. He was one of my guitar heroes, and uh, he said his approach—he he, he likes—he doesn't—he doesn't, he doesn't want to just get one guitar sound and use that for everything. He likes to get a very a, a, a variety of different guitar sounds, you know, in a song. And his way of doing that at that time, anyway. Was to use different guitars for different sounds for different tones. Mm -hmm. So um having different guitars and having different amps and being able to compose your music and record it with all the different sounds, it makes the process a lot of fun, you know. And I really believe the uh the satisfaction, the fulfillment is not just when you get your final, you know, recording done and you release your album, but the whole process. You know can be a lot of fun yeah
1: i hear you on that i have a few more questions for you as we're getting close to the end here what venues do, would you like to play in the future with this project that you're
0: working on um well the the, the primary ones i would like to get this music out on uh electronic venues um it, it, the what i'm working on now is primarily a recording project right. and that's the main focus And um, one of the cool things about that is uh, if you, you know, even classic bands from the 70s, I I was listening to Pigs by Pink Floyd one day and realized that in that middle section, there are four guitars playing simultaneously, all with different sounds. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Pink Floyd, I think when they go on tour, they have you know a bunch of uh, other musicians who tour with them who play some of those extra parts you know various bands did different things some of them just left some of those parts out right i know uh, led zeppelin was a band who did that also jimmy page liked this approach of uh being able to record an orchestra of guitars but he didn't have an orchestra of guitarists when they went and toured live but um uh, in, in the studio, you're free to do that. And um, so, you know, I want to uh, get this material out on Spotify, Apple Music, all the electronic venues. Um, if a uh, progressive rock label picks it up at some point, that would be great. I think the new stuff, um, the audio quality is going to be better than anything I've put out before. You know, I'm getting the best bass tones. I'm getting the best guitar tones that I've ever recorded. Um, and I think my, uh, my, I'm, I'm playing better than I ever have in my life. Excellent. Uh, I'm also writing better songs. I and mean, that, that may be even, well, I think that is even more important. Learned a lot about songwriting uh, even in the, just the last few years. And I think I'm writing better songs.
1: What was like the top three or four things that you've learned about songwriting that, Regarding songwriting? Yeah.
0: One really important thing, and this is really so simple, but I think it doesn't occur to people, is um, writing the melody, for instance, for a chorus. Or I mean, for a, a, a verse. Okay. And your typical verse is going to, your stanza is going to have four lines. And you take an example like um, Peaceful Easy Feeling by the Eagles. hmm and that melody is A, B, A, B. In other words, I like the way your sparkling earrings lay. First line mm-hmm. against your skin. So brown. That's the second line. Okay. Different melody. Right. Then they follow that with, I want to sleep with you in the desert tonight. Hopefully I'm not infringing on copyright. No, first. you're good. Uh, <laughs> um, all right. That's the, exactly the same as the first line. Against your skin, so brown. That's exactly the same as the second line. So that that verse is A, B, A, B. Now, they made that work. Now, I hear, and, and usually when you come up with a melody for a song, it's often going to be that format, A, B, A, B. You're going to come up with a melody for your first line, melody for your second line. And then your third and fourth, you're, the first thing you're going to come up with is repeat those. Mm-hmm. Well, one day I asked myself, why do, you know, my melodies that I've written so far and melodies I hear by other, you know, non-pro musicians, why do they sound kind of bland a lot of times? Why, why, why aren't my melodies more interesting? You know, it's, it's, they can't, they're not inherently bad. I'm using the same seven notes of a major or minor scale. Well, and I real, and, and then I thought about some other songs. One of the songs that has all has has been a favorite of mine since I heard it when I was a kid was "And You and I" by Yes. Now, what? Now, if you're familiar with that one, um, a man conceived the moment's answers to the dream. Yeah, yeah. Staying the flowers daily, sensing all the themes. Now, they could have then written the third line. Um, as a da 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 da, and then the fourth line ba da 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 da. Okay, A B A B. They could have done that, but what did they do? At the third line, they they changed it, and as a foundation left to create the spiral aim, and then the rest of that. Right. Right. They introduced something new there. So their melody was A B, and then a C. And then the last line is the same as the second, so that's a B. Their form was A B C B. Immediately, that makes a huge difference.
1: Yeah, because it's different than what's it's, usually was being shown at that or heard at that time.
0: It's it's yeah, it's less. It's not repetitive. Right. A B A B can be very repetitive. It can sound bland. Now, uh, as I mentioned, some bands write those songs and pull that off. And, um, and make it work. But, you know, what if the Eagles had changed one of those lines in peaceful, easy feeling? And maybe that last line, the fourth line, instead of in, uh, against your skin, sober, and that's not the fourth line, um, with a million stars all around, what if they had changed it to a million stars all around, you know, come mm-hmm. up with another variation, made it A B A see well they might have thought what they had was you know perfect maybe it is it perfectly fits the mood of the song but I think right there that's another way they could have gone and it would have you know sounded really interesting and exciting
1: so you're taking those ideas and you're throwing those into obviously the songs that you're writing now
0: I'm incorporating that's that's one of the ideas I'm incorporating yeah and um it's not rocket science. See, that's a very simple idea, but you know, when I uh, kind of asked myself, well, why am I not doing that more? It was like, wow, why haven't I been doing that more? You know?
1: Right. It's almost like an epiphany.
0: A little bit. You hate to admit it. Cause it really <laughs> is such a simple thing.
1: Um. So yeah, that's really cool. So yeah, I, i'm looking forward to hearing this new stuff that you have because like i said earlier we played some of your stuff on the friday music showcase and it sounded fantastic
0: those are songs i believe all were oh no i take that back um a few of them were from songs from the heart right by concept of innocence Mm -hmm. and then a few of them are uh songs that i released on my own right and um what i What I do in the studio here, uh, like my life uh, when I was working with Jim, sometimes um, things in life came up, he had kids he was raising, and so forth, and uh, we would uh, for a while not be able to work on our original progressive rock and um, I use those opportunities sometimes to write and record some uh simpler kind of material in the studio and, and often those were uh, and, and then uh, when I would do that sometimes it would be just to uh, try out a new piece of gear a, new, a guitar mm-hmm. or a pedal or an amp and then um, I would decide well instead of you know just doing this um, sound test why don't I make it into a song and I'd write a little song. It would feature, you know, a new bass or a new guitar pedal, whatever I had. Those became a lot of these songs that are on the my SoundCloud page, R.W.'s Blues, because a lot of those were blues. I figured um, if I if I do a, a blues, a twelve bar blues song, I can do that in one weekend, and I can test out my new piece of gear and write a song and, yeah. and record a song and, and mix it. Hopefully in a weekend. Usually they took two, but um, and some of them were. Um, ambient music pieces, ambient electronic pieces. Um, and those I have on my SoundCloud page for sleep distance. Um, oh, and, um, sleep distance actually released a full album of those, um, ambient electronic pieces. Those that's on Spotify, um, safe place to fall title of the album by sleep distance. Um, so, uh, anyway, all of that experience recording those pieces um developed my uh, uh skill recording and mixing okay while we weren't were able to work on uh, um uh, concept of innocence material so and hopefully that answers your question yeah yeah or they did it not even begin to i don't know
1: no no it 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 did it just i just wanted to just have everybody kind of who's listening just to get an you know, your perspective of all that, you know, the recording and your approach to it and, you know, what your mind thoughts are as, as you're going through the whole process.
0: Um, oh, another thing that's always foremost in my mind when I'm recording is um, I, I don't want to be derivative. I've mentioned I have Guitar Heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, I have bands that I have loved listening to for, um, I hate to admit it around 50 years already. I don't want to be derivative of those bands, but on the other hand, when I'm recording, I'm, I am also thinking I want to capture sounds from classic albums. And uh, some of that stuff is easier today, um, and some of that stuff has become possible only in the last um, 10 years, maybe. Some examples, one of my, my, my all-time favorite lead guitar tone is David Gilmour's and uh, for many many years uh, I read that you know well guitarists prefer the sound of tube amps they get the best sound from tube amps and I thought David Gilmour must have a really great tube rig and it wasn't it was decades and you know and I, I would try to replicate his tone and I never could get it it was decades later that I read and I, I got in touch with uh, Bjorn from the Gilmore-ish site. Actually, he emailed me the information. I never knew. He doesn't play through an overdriven tube amp. He plays through a clean amp and uses a um, electroharmonics Big Muff pedal Oh, okay. for his distortion on his lead guitar. Who would have ever guessed? You know, uh, uh, The other guitarist in the very first band I ever played in as a sophomore in high school had a big muff, and we thought it sounded awful. We we thought it was the most terrible sounding pedal. <laughs> <laughs> and who would have guessed? Uh, of, of course, that was a late '70s big muff. And you know, I've all since then also learned that uh, from year to year the sound changed. You know, sometimes subtly, sometimes drastically. You know, the the one my friend had might have been a. Uh, an op amp Big Muff from 1977 or 78, which would have sounded completely different than the one that David Gilmore played through.
1: Yeah. And those guys, those guys probably have like texts too that go through that stuff and tweak everything
0: for them. You would think you don't know. Yeah. yeah. Could, did he have someone go in and modify the circuit in his Big Muff? I don't know. Um, I do know there are, um, again, within, I don't know, the last 10 years or so boutique uh, Big Muff clones available on the market. In fact, Electro Harmonics has now re- uh, reissued the okay. uh, early 70s Ram's Head Big Muff. But even before that, there are boutique clone Big Muff pedals on the market. And I found some of those. My favorite one is uh, the, uh, the Stomp Underfoot Brick Muff, named after brick in the wall. I got one of those plugged in and I'm like, this is amazing. Yes. This is that sound yeah. I have been after for literally decades. Wow. Chasing that sound and I didn't know how to get it. One of the one of the uh, wonderful things that happened is in 2016 I uh, actually got a hold of, I I found a Hiwatt DR103 amp which is the amp he uses. Um they're in the Platinum Room at Guitar Center in Brookfield. I um I was walking in there to pick up another piece of gear that i had gotten and i saw this amp and i'm like oh, i'm already dropping a couple hundred on or a few hundred on this other piece of gear but i can't not get this amp so <laughs> that one followed me home um but some of the other examples of um you know recording an album of progressive rock for, for me as a home recording musician not even being possible um, before maybe ten years ago, is uh, something like the uh, Arturia V collection of virtual synthesizers. Okay. Um, you know, I started writing and recording my music on an Ensonic ESQ1, which was a great synth. I still have it, and uh, I still like that uh, that synth. These days, I don't use its internal sounds. I tend to, all my instruments, my electronic instruments anyway, the uh, synths, the keyboards, are all in my computer. Use virtual synths. The V collection is a collection of all of the classic synths that were used in the 70s and into the 80s to record all the classic albums on. So that's another tool that has made it possible to, like I said, you know, incorporate sounds from classic albums Mm -hmm. in my music. And they have now virtually or uh, within your computer, duplicated instruments like the Mellotron, the B3 organ, all the the instruments on those classic songs, as well as all the synths.
1: Yeah. Technology is just crazy.
0: Amazing to be able to write stuff now and get those sounds. Yeah. Which, you know, when I watch... uh, there's a movie of uh, Pink Floyd in the studio back in the early seventies. And I've seen, I think I watched the whole thing when I was back in high school. I recently watched some of it on YouTube and them having all of the hardware, you know, recording an album like dark yeah. side of the moon. Right. You know? And now um, I can get a lot of those sounds at home.
1: Yep. It's, it's, it's crazy. You know, just, it's amazing what our technology can do when it's used for creative endeavors.
0: Yeah. And my original goal had been to release a CD in the late 1990s, you know, um, recording on an ADAT and mixing on Mackie mixing boards. Mm -hmm. I have a pair of uh, Mackie mixing consoles. And um, I listened to CDs by bands, by independent bands who released CDs back then on that equipment. And um, they sounded cool back then, but um, you can really hear that uh, they sound like a, a 1990, a good 1990s independent release, you know, not like something that yeah. was recorded in a pro studio even 20 years earlier. And it's, it's amazing because now, mm-hmm. nowadays, you get real close to that sound, uh, especially if you know what you're doing, which I'm not claiming i all some master of yeah. that but uh, i'm learning it's a lifelong journey of discovery <laughs> but uh, i believe you can get real close
1: yep i believe that as well well i like i said I'm, I'm wrapping this up so here's the last uh two questions for you what gig made a big impression on you either as an audience member or the
0: person on stage i thought about i was thinking about this today um there was a uh, a gig that we did when i was with thick as a brick at the um, Rubicon ranch and it was, we didn't get paid. It was a benefit Um, and I don't remember the cause right now, but they asked us to play and it was wonderful. Other people donated their talents too. They had a sound band there. Vinny, I think was his name or Vince. And uh, he had an amazing sound system. I tell you, we never sounded that good ever until, you know, with him mixing us it sounded amazing and the crowd was having a great time we had the best time playing there um all our wives and girlfriends were there with us and uh it was you know uh it was a warm sunny day um the music was flowing um we had the best time of our lives um
1: excellent very cool
0: you know and that band a cover band playing great songs that people know that's what you're there for to bring the good times. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. yeah. Show that made a huge impression on me as an audience member was when I saw Osric tentacles at Shank hall in 1994. I came out of there going, what did I just see? That wasn't just <laughs> going to see a band. That was an experience. It was amazing. Um, they they were at that time. They were touring with the Fruit Salad Lights. They had these this amazing light display while they were playing, and I never heard music like this before. It, the whole evening, it was just an amazing experience.
1: And I think a, a, hopefully, a lot of people out there have kind of a similar story to you know, like going to a concert. And it was just like just blew their mind. It's because that's like you said. It's just it's something to experience.
0: I think we've all got one.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the last question for you is what's, what are you listening to right now? What's on your playlist?
0: Oh, that's a great one. Well, a few things recently. Um, I have been on Spotify checking out uh, releases, for instance, by Steve Hackett. Uh, He put out a string of albums in the late seventies and 1980s, some of which I didn't even know about. And I've been, uh, checking those out and you know i was listening to him i was also listening to um genesis the uh and then there were three album and um on a good set of headphones and this was the 2007 remaster the detail was just amazing and the, the beautiful analog synth sounds and i believe they were using guitar synths uh on that album um and some of those sounds uh, you know, back then, when that came out, I didn't know what a guitar synth really sounded like. And, and now I'm hearing some of this, you know, um, on a good sound system. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been listening to uh, Ambient Electronic by John Sari and checking some of his music out. Marillion, another favorite rock band, uh, progressive rock band. I've been listening to them. Um, and, uh, yeah, a variety of different, different stuff. Yeah cool blues too yeah i, I love robin ford oh Buddy have you heard
1: if you heard his newest album
0: i haven't heard his newest one yet
1: oh i think you'll you know? you'll really really dig that one it's got the f- the, the intro is is kind of like a mixture of blues and synth wave
0: oh that should be interesting
1: yeah you it's know? got a little bit and he's playing saxophone because that's one of his instruments as well he's playing sax on it as well, well. i didn't know that yeah he's he's a sax player too oh.
0: I'm jealous. The guy is such an (laughs) amazingly talented guitarist and and he's a multi, multi instrumentalist. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I saw him play live once and, uh, yeah, I'm still in love with that blue line album.
1: Oh yeah. And that's from the
0: early 90s. That album's 30 years old, but, uh, not only the songs on that, not only his playing on that, but the production in my home studio, if I can get that sound, you know, then, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm close to being what I'm after. Cool.
1: Very cool. Yeah. That's like you said, that's a great sounding album.
0: Some of the, uh, some of the albums from the 1970s can sound, uh, gritty, mm-hmm. sandy, and, and some people like that, you know, and in in some cases that's, that's a cool sound.
1: It's that tape saturation. It,
0: it, uh, it yeah, that, and, you know, I've read about, uh, tube mic preamps back mm-hmm. then they would like to overdrive the tube mic preamp you know so and and that's a cool sound the blue line it just has this very smooth but very clean kind of a tone yeah and so and i don't know what it was you know a high-end studio mixing board um analog tape i'm sure oh yeah but maybe not driven real hard um to to give this really smooth sound cuz some of the albums from the 1980s that were the first ones that were recorded all digital you can hear a difference. Yeah. Very very clean but maybe a little thin sounding. So, but uh the Blue Line was amazing.
1: Back in 95, yeah, yeah definitely they were doing analog tape. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I used to read interviews with musicians in 2000. That's 20 years ago already. Mm-hmm. You know, John Petrucci in, in, in 2000, like he was like, um, on our last album, even though we can do it all in Pro Tools, we used analog tape. We wanted analog tape. And then they would bounce it to Pro Tools to edit, but the original tracking was done to analog tape. Yeah,
1: I, so, ran, a, but- I ran a studio in Kenosha, and, and I was running a 2-inch 16 track for the, the bed tracks, and then I threw everything into pro tools to do the editing and you know some overdubs whatever but i was doing that hybrid Mm -hmm. stuff back in the early 2000s as well it was just no it was a great analog sound and hopefully someday again i'll have have another machine like that because i got rid of it a couple years ago but i still have my uh ampex 350 mixdown deck from the 1950s so i use that as well oh
0: yeah see some of those albums like the, the first Boston album and I think dark side of the moon they have this wonderful warm smooth sound but it's clean yeah it's clean I that's that's an incredible sound
1: thank you so much for being on the Wisconsin music podcast It was a great interview great discussion just about music and that's exactly what I was looking for
0: all right I hope I was hoping
1: <laughs> yes definitely
0: all right well it's it's been a great pleasure being on the podcast thank you so much you're welcome
1: so when you your your new music Heard by everybody, let me know and we'll we'll get it out there for you. I hope you'll get it out there.
0: When I've got it ready, yeah, yeah. I'd be glad to give you a heads up. Cool. Thank you. Have a good night. Take care, Zach.
1: Everyone, thanks again for listening to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Rob. Hope you enjoyed his music and check out his links down in the show notes. And we will have one more song by him right at the very end of this podcast. Podcast theme music by Nate Wyckoff of Frequency Farm Recording Studio. Voice over by Dean Bundy. Syndicated on CWHipHop.com, Wisconsin's online radio hip-hop station. Wisconsin Music Podcast was created, edited, mixed, and mastered by Zach T. Fell of ZTF Studio. Have a great week, everybody. See you next time.